Well, this morning I'm excited to introduce to some of you, some of you, she's a familiar face, and that is Reva Porter. Would y'all give Reva a round of applause? Reva's going to be opening up the scriptures, sharing from the Gospel of Matthew today. We love you, Reva. You have a fan section down here. Wow. Wow. Here you go. Reva, um, she's married to Howard Porter down here on the front row, supporting her. And um, some of you may not know, um, because they've been attending here a while, and they've been in and out in different seasons, but uh, Reva and her husband are both ordained pastors in the Church of the Nazarene, and have been serving close to 50 years in ministry. And um, they are, uh, they've done interim stints around here uh, with different churches, and uh, they're here right now, and so we, we are blessed to have you share with us this morning. So would y'all give her one more round of applause? We are blessed to be a part of you. Uh, several years back, right before the COVID, Howard had blood clots in his lungs, and we couldn't get to our church in Griffin. And so we decided we'd try this little church, Harvest Point, down the road. And we never met a more friendlier group, uh, people that praise the Lord with no restrictions, great preachers, great singers who sang in the Spirit. And we are privileged to, to be part of you uh, Howard and I have been, have been married 50 years, and some of you go, wow, <laughs> he survived her that long. <laughs> but I want to put a plug, short plug in for the, the marriage uh, video that they're showing on Sunday nights. It's not too late to join, is it, Pastor? We're still working on it, I want to tell you. And it really, it really helped me the other night because it was on conflict resolution. I don't know about you, but... We've had those moments in the parsonage and everywhere else. But pastor did the video, and then he stopped it, and he said, I want you to list traits of your spouse that drew you to them. And you're supposed to focus on those rather than the weaknesses. And he said, shoot for six. And so I wrote, I haven't got a 10, but I filled up the page, and I looked over at Howard, and I thought, wow, what's he going to say about me? We had a minute left, and... I said, how many you got? He said, three. <laughs> I'm working on four. Well, he deflated my balloon. If I hadn't been a grown person, I would have blubbered right there, I think, and cried. But I want to tell you, the next morning, I got up, and I think this clone, this alien, came into his body. He looked like Howard Porter, but he hates housework. And so the dishwasher was unloaded. Uh, he had clothes in the washer. He pulled me up close to me and told me he wasn't always too good at putting in words, but he loved me so much. So I want to tell you, even after 50 years of marriage, we're still working on that marriage. We're, we're still uh, trying to tell the good news. And so I appreciate Pastor giving me this opportunity. Um, I really feel out of place because God called me when I was 55 years old to preach. And I really thought the internet connection had failed or something because I told him, not me, Lord. You know, I've got my life all planned out. Howard's a preacher. I'm the singer, the teacher, intercessor. And we had this little debate. I said, I don't even care much for women preachers. And so he, I gave him scripture. He gave me scripture. And he won the debate. Um, I found that when I win the debate, I really lose. But God called me to preach. And I'm really humbled by the people that, that 
that preach. I mean, here we have pastor with a seminary degree, and I don't know how many titles. Howard's had 50 years of preaching, and he's ready to, uh, as long as I can stand, we get going to see the world. And I'm sort of like James Bond, Lord, I'm here for service, ready to go. And so we're working that out. But um, my son has a doctorate in missions with emphasis on education. So really, God's going to show. God's got to show up today because I don't have the, the credentials really to do it. But I believe that God can show up. And so, if you're on the video out there streaming, uh, I know you may be in your pajamas. But don't head for the bed yet because God might show up. And Amen. if you're here, if you're like me, when the, the pastor's not up here, I, I have a moan and a groan. I don't care if it's the bishop or the of the United Methodist Church. No offense if they're listening, and I don't care. Uh, but it's one of us. <laughs> I got my team going here for me. <laughs> they say, move on, I'm sure. But I want us to look at the scripture today. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. If they'll put that up on the screen. We've been studying Matthew, and, pa and Pastor's been doing a great job of showing. Matthew is the despised tax collector. And nobody really likes him, but God got a hold of his life. And he changed, and he's trying to convince his generation and our generation that Jesus is a Messiah. That's the decision you're going to have to make on a way to, to uh, Easter Sunday and the resurrection. Is he really the Son of God, or is he the greatest imposter that ever walked the face of the earth? Should you be home in bed or on a golf course or somewhere, or should you be giving it all to God? We're going to look at Scripture today, Jesus walking on the water. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, when he was alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, as he's afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They, they tell me that when you, when you study a scripture that you ought to read it in its context. That means you read what comes before it and what comes after it. And I just want to shortly summarize. In chapter 13, it said that Jesus went to his hometown. You know, Jesus is God and he's man. He has feelings. He went to his hometown, and he thought, surely they will receive me. I've done all these miracles. And they looked at Jesus, and they said, no way. I kind of paraphrase things, paraphrase things, and so kind of go with me. No way are you the son of God. We know Mary's your mother, and you're son of a carpenter. We know your brothers and sisters. And they dismissed him. Here Jesus has a broken heart. Then you go to chapter 14, and here we have the feeding of the 5,000. And so here we are uh, in this situation. 
can tell I'm getting nervous, aren't you? <laughs> but we had a situation where he's feeding the 5,000. And the, Jesus is so disappointed right before that, excuse me, right before that, he finds out that John the Baptist has been murdered. His head brought to Herodias in a platter. And so he's found out that his best friend, the, the messenger that says, there comes one after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose, and he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So he lost the, his best friend, and he's had his whole neighborhood and friends don't believe in him. And then he, get, he says, fellas, let's get on the boat. So they get on the boat, Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you know about the Sea of Galilee, but it, it's the deepest freshwater lake in the whole world. It's 680 feet down. And a lot of times it has storms. So they got on the boat, they were going around, and he didn't realize it, but people were gathering. They'd seen him heal, and they thought they brought their sick, and they wanted to hear this man. And so when he got to the other side, this crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, they really think it's more like 10 to 15,000 were out there waiting to see Jesus. He took care and healed those, and he spoke to them, and then... And the scriptures, uh, disciples, oh, I'm really, <laughs> devil's fighting me this morning, isn't he? But he spoke to them, and then he dismissed them. And then he went alone to pray. And, and he sent them out on a boat. And you say, why would Jesus leave them and send them out on a boat? We're going to look at two instances where he, they were sent on the boat perhaps because the crowd was wanting to make him king. And he knew Peter and all the others would like to see him as king. And that was not Jesus' plan because he was going to Calvary to die on the cross. Perhaps this is the first time that he had been on, left him and not been on the boat. I just want to look at Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 20, verses 35 to 41. And they can put that up on the screen. I'm not going to really read it. I'm just going to summarize it. And here he was. He was on the boat this time. And they were on the boat. Jesus was on a cushion, resting in the bottom of the boat. And they had a storm. And they called out to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We're drowning. And Jesus, you know, got up and immediately calmed the storm. Did you ever have it when you asked Jesus, don't you care? Anybody done that in life? If you had, let me just say this. If you had a loving home where your mother and father affirmed you, especially your father, because I gather from studying that the father's image of the heavenly father, you've got a better image. I grew up in a home where I really didn't have a lot of affirmation. And my dad, I really wanted to hear him say, I love you. I'm not doing this for a pity story, but I'm trying to see how you get the relationship between the father and your earthly father. He never went to anything that I ever did. Uh, school functions, he was not there. He never gave me a compliment. The only thing I remember him saying is, you are the most stubborn white woman I've ever met. I wanted to say I'm just a chip off the old block, dad. But, <laughs> but I didn't because I valued my life. And the other thing was, uh, my, mom, my mom would say, show him your 96. 
on the grade, and he'd say, who made the 99? So I had a perfectionist dad, one who never gave me any attention, never attended my high school graduation, although he attended my brother's, never went to my college graduation, although they all gathered for my husband's, and never saw me in my master's degree. And I'm not telling you that to pity me, because I want to tell you, God takes those why-don't-you-care moments and changes into something great, because God was preparing me to work with behavior-disordered children and alternative school children. We took a boy into our home named Bill. I don't know how he survived his home. And he's just uh, fought off Hodgkin's lymphoma. But God gave me a place. Everything works together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. So when you say, don't you care, God is right there on the spot working it out for your good. So these disciples said, don't you care, and then Jesus calmed the storm. So let's go back to where we are in, in Mark. Excuse me, in Matthew. Here they are in the boat. Jesus isn't there. And they wonder where he is. And Jesus came out walking on the water. He looked like a ghost. Did you ever, did you ever, uh, at your darkest moment, this was like three o'clock in the morning. Scholars tell us this is the darkest part of the night when they felt all alone and, and the water was seeping in. It's usually at your darkest part of the night that Jesus shows up. But he showed up in the form of a ghost. Uh, you know, I always picture Jesus, you know, that little picture of Jesus of the little children. But sometimes he doesn't always come as we expect him to. I remember um, as a teenager, I struggled a lot after I got saved, and I doubted a lot. And I said, don't you care. I went through all those stages, and I found that Jesus always picked me up and dusted me off. He didn't zap me from lightning from heaven. I, I heard a lot of hellfire and brimstone sermons, but he's always there for me. He comes in different forms. Uh, he sent Howard Porter in my life. Um, different kind of guy. One time I was sitting in the church parking lot. <laughs> he smiled. He is different. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in the church parking lot, and I was crying because the minister had hurt my feelings. And really, the minister was right. He was just kind of gruff. And I looked over at Howard, and he was crying with me. I thought, what kind of man is this that shows his emotions and cares you see, Jesus is kind of like a ghost. I didn't know it was Jesus, but it was Jesus at the time. I didn't know it was Jesus. My son and I, I love Sandy Patty. I'm stuck in the 80s, I guess. And I wanted to go see her, and she was at the Omni. Anybody remember the Omni? Okay, it's closed down now, but it was in the worst part of Atlanta. Howard got the virus, the flu virus, and he was not in any shape to take me. So I talked to my teenage son, and I said, would you take me? And so we did. We went down there. We did not have GPSs, you know. And we got lost, sure enough. And it was the worst part of town. And there was this homeless person that was standing on the corner. My husband and my theological son told me, I, that's a good term. <laughs> and we used to call him something else. But it was a homeless person standing there. And he looked very scary. 
And I said, son, let's go down that way. Well, we went down that way, and then we took another turn, and there, there was a sign that said construction, but we didn't see it. Our axles went down to the mud, and we were stuck. And I said, Tim, get out. So Tim got out and tried to shove, and then he put me at the wheel, and he, says, he said, you get out. I wasn't too wild about that. But we had mud all over us. Guess who come and help, came and helped us? That homeless person came around the corner, and I said, we're dead in the water. And he got down in the mud with us, and he shoved us. I learned something. Jesus doesn't come in the form that we think he does. And we got, we got out. We said, I, we got to go find a phone booth. And I think Pastor explained that. That's a booth with a phone in it. If you've ever seen the old, old Superman with Lois and Clark Kent, you know, he always changed in that booth. And so we were looking, going out looking, and this homeless person said, ma'am, I wouldn't go that way. We don't even go down that way. And so he pointed us in the right direction. We called Howard. We're dummies. We said, what do we do? And he says, call the wrecker, of course. We called the wrecker. He pulled us out. Were we going to miss Sandy Patty's concert? No way. We just went in the bathroom, washed off the mud, and I got a hearer. But see, Jesus came that way. Jesus came in the way when I broke my hip and had two surgeries. And Howard was in bad shape. He brought me home. I had a horrific experience in the nursing homes. He was glad to see me home, and boy, was I glad to get home. But he was not in any shape to take care of me. He would wheel me to the bathroom and be out of breath. And a day or two after we'd gotten in, he says, call the ambulance. I'm having pains in my chest. So I called the ambulance. They came, and he had congestive heart failure. They took him off, and I'm trying to figure. I got in the wheelchair with scooting. I could look and find the food that was, I could reach. But here came this Jesus in the form of my best friend, drove all the way from Thomaston over an hour. She wanted to stay with me, and I'm very proud. I said, no, just set the food out, and I'll make it. The next day, she came anyway, uh, and then she bought me lunch. See, that's Jesus. That's a ghost. And then, as I was recovering, this lady named Sally, I think you know Sally, Ash's wife, she came over. I said, who's at the door, Howard? Because our house was a total disaster. Our yard was all grown up with weeds. I, was, I said, please, Lord, don't let her come in. He answered that prayer. But she, she had brought food, the best food. She's one of your best cooks. You all know that. And so she brought food to me, and then next week she brought flowers and dessert. You see, that's Jesus. He may not look like Jesus, but he's Jesus. One point I forgot because I got nervous was when it, Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Do you remember when he said, got laid, and, and, and the disciples said, send them away because they're hungry? And Jesus says, you feed them. I want to point out something. In Acts chapter 4, there was a scripture that talked about discrimination. Oh, we think we got discrimination, but they had it back in the beginning of Acts. The church was multiplied. It seemed like the, the Jewish widows were being neglected. The, the Greek were looking after, excuse me, the Greek widows were being neglected, and the Jewish widows seemed to have more food. And Peter said, enough is enough. Pick seven men full of the Holy Ghost. And let them handle that, the affairs of the church. He said two jobs of the minister is to pray and preach the word. So what does that mean? 
Who's going to do the work of the church? If we ever want a New Testament church, it's me and you. His job is to preach. He didn't pay me for that either. (laughs) He didn't know what I'm going to do up here. Nobody does, I think. But his job is to preach the word and to pray. And our job is to be the hands of the church. So I just wanted to bring that in. If Jesus comes in a strange way and you've had bad experiences, he will come. Of course, he calmed the sea. I want you to notice a contrast between Mark version of how the disciples reacted. You see, growing a faith, it's not a straight path. I've failed him many times. But in Mark, they said, after Jesus got on the boat, said, what manner is this that the wind and the waves obey him? They weren't calling him the son of God. They were just amazed at what Jesus did. Sometimes we're amazed what he gives us. But notice in here they said, Jesus calmed the waves. And you know the story. Peter saw this ghostly thing. He said, if it's you, Jesus, call me out. And he did. And then he gets his eyes on his problems, the storms of life, and he gets them off Jesus. And he's sinking. Did you ever do that? Get your eyes off Jesus? The devil tried me to get my eyes off Jesus this morning. Um, I forgot my wedding ring. And the cat decided to attack my husband. We took a rescue cat in. He's got all these scratches. I didn't do it. So that, <laughs> but he'll, he'll do everything he can to break in and stop that walk. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, focused on him. But Peter walked out to him. He was sinking, and Jesus said, Take my hand. And he brought him back to the ship. And what did they say? They didn't say you're a great man with miracles. He said, truly, you are the son of God. And they worshiped him. So this morning, you've got a decision to make. Will you trust this Jesus to be your savior? Is he really trustworthy? And I want to tell you, He's worth every, every struggle I've gone through. Because even though I don't understand sometimes, and I don't know those ghosts in my life that come, and I don't realize it's Jesus, he's been there for me. I've walked too long to, to turn back now. I just believe that he's Jesus. I tell you, there was a point where I gave my life to Jesus. I was scared to death. And I finally came forward. My mother walked three blocks to get us to church. And they gave the altar call. Usually I'd sit there and freeze. And that day I felt the Holy Spirit says, this is the time. I really found Jesus. I'd heard enough scripture walking down that aisle, just trusting him. One time I remember I blew up at him. And I said, I kind of told him, I said, you're just like my dad. You're distant. You don't care. And then there was a time that Howard worked in the district office. My son had a call to ministry to preach in the missions. We didn't have any money. Howard took what little, they'd scraped up some to work in the budget, and he was going to be the assistant to the district superintendent, which he did more than half of his life. And my son was going to college. We didn't have any money. All we had was an old jalopy to give him. And I thought, Lord, you've got to take care of him. He was a star student of Paulding County. That means outstanding grades and so forth. But there were two star students in Paulding County. One was larger school, and they got the scholarship. 
I was deflated. Then I thought, well, they'll get the he'll get the district scholarship. You know, we've worked for the district, we sacrificed. They called out the names of seven or eight people. Stephen wasn't among it. I was disappointed to say the least. I don't know where Howard was, where Stephen was. I think my son Tim was in college. Grown woman, married to the assistant district superintendent. I got angry with God. I don't normally throw things, but <laughs> there was a skillet nearby, and I threw it across the room. And then I pounded the wall. I found the wall didn't move, but my hand sure stung. I didn't do that anymore. <laughs> I was angry with God. I went to church the next day. I wilted. I said, oh, God, how could I have done that to you? How could I? He forgave me. But it took me a year to forgive myself. You don't have to hold on to all that. I don't have the time to tell you the miracles that God did in my son's life. How he opened doors. I can tell you this. One of the first miracles, God took care of him. Took that old jalopy. He worked his way through. And then we came to graduation time, and we gathered, my mother-in-law and family. Stephen walked across that platform with highest honors of grades, and I was so proud of him. And then I sort of didn't listen to all the other hundreds of graduates that went on, and my mother-in-law was having a fainting spell. And I was looking over at her, my contacts were kind of blurred, and I heard this thunderous applause. I said, what's going on? I looked up, and there's this kid walking across the platform. I looked closer, and it was my son, Stephen. You see, he was awarded the Citizenship Award of Trevecca Nazarene University, which means both the faculty and the teachers voted him highest in character and Greg's in integrity. I didn't throw a skill at that time, but if the devil had been there, I would have kicked his derriere and said, you big liar, God, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy but Jesus has come that we might have life. I don't know what walk you've been walking this morning, but I do know you can, you've got to choose. Is Jesus real? Is he the son of God? Or is he the imposter? When I gave my life to Jesus, this winding road of trust went on. I found a place. The old-time Methodists, it's in their manual, in the Nazarenes. Uh, if you ever read Mark Batterson's book, All In?, you come to a place in your life where you, you, talk, you get down and you, wherever you are and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything. I surrender everything. My todays, my tomorrows, I put in your hands and I'm going to trust you. That's a pretty scary place. It's called sanctification. It's called full surrender. Mark Madison calls it all in. But I found a place. It doesn't mean that every action's perfect, but it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I've got a pure heart, but every day I miss the mark. I, I sin by omission, or I talk to Howard in a rough way when I'm in pain, and he talks to me that way sometimes too. But, but, but you have to go back and say, forgive me, both Jesus and whoever you were lashing out at. You see, when you go all in, he rules every aspect of your life. 
I hate to preach on this. I'll tell you why. Every time, I don't know about pastor, but every time I preach on a topic, God corners me. And I had two family deaths in the last month. I, we buried our brother-in-law unexpectedly. I buried my brother and had to take care of his state. Four, four trips to Indiana. God drew up close and he said, Reva, I want to ask you something because I'm still trying to find my way of where God wants to use me. He said, I know you love to sing more than anything. I know you love to preach. I know you love to teach. I know you love to intercede. You spend much time with me interceding. Then he cornered me and he said, Reva, what if I took that all away from you? What if my plans are different than your plans? What if you never sang again except in the bathroom when you vocalize, sing Sandy Patty songs? What if you never preach? What if you never teach? What if you can't even go to the intercessors prayer group because you're flat on your back and all you can say is Jesus? Would I be enough for you? My heart sank, felt like he was ripping it out of my chest. That's the hardest thing to say yes to. When all your dreams, all your desires, whatever you hold close to your fam family, whatever, when all those things come along and you don't know why, you've got six ki sick kids, you've got people that are dying, you fall and break your leg and you can't do anything you want, am I enough for you? My answer is yes, in front of you. But I want to tell you, it would rip my heart out. But see, Jesus is asking you today, is he really the son of God? Will he meet all your needs? If he takes everything away from you that you so cherish, would he be all that you need? So you either got to be all in or all out. If this church is to reach Locust Grove and Madonna, pastor can't do it. He's doing his part, but it's us. And we have to wait till the fire comes upon us. Jesus told them to tarry till they were endued with power on high. And they tarried and they turned that all region around upside down because they were willing to die for Jesus. And most of them did. Horrendous deaths. John's the only one that they said didn't die. And they said he, they dripped him in, dipped him in hot oil. I don't know. Since the Patmos, deserted area, that's probably worse than dying. But if Jesus, can he do anything with you? Can you accept him as Lord? Can you fully surrender? And can these, these teens, these young people, they've got good bodies. They've got good talents. You middle-aged adults, you're very talented. I've never seen such a loving people. And I'm just so happy in my, my praise group over here. That was a total surprise. You've got great people. They rejoice in the Lord. You've got the greatest music, Oscar and the praise team. Did you ever watch the tears go down his eyes? I even saw it this morning when they were practicing. You got great music. But if we don't walk out that door fully committed, this town will not know Jesus. It may be, uh, I was Jesus. I'm trying to watch my time, Pastor. I was Jesus in the grocery in a pharmacy the other day. There I was sitting waiting to get my medicine. And this elderly man that couldn't even walk better than me. I mean, that's bad. <laughs> He was waiting on the pharmacist to get the medicine uh, for his wife. Evidently, she had flu or something. And I said, well, I can do that. 
And so he hobbled, I hobbled over, we found the medicine, the pharmacist came by and said, thank you. And then as we were going by and I sat down again, he stood there trying to count his money and he, part of it dropped on the floor. See, he couldn't see. And so I picked up his money and I said, you better be careful there. And he said, yeah, some people have taken some. And I counted his money and he walked out feebly to his car. I wondered, I hope he sure saw a lot better distance than he did show <laughs> But see, I didn't do anything fabulous that day. I was just Jesus, a ghost that happened to reach out to an elderly man. That might be my mission in life. Just sitting next to someone in the beauty shop. I, I sit next to a Russian lady. She has unique clothing. My daughter-in-law, uh, grandmother, lived in Persia. That's Iran. She lived in England. They, they picked different clothes. And she said she was from Russia. And immediately my mind went, ooh, Russia, Ukraine. But I didn't do that because she's a person. She says, I've lived in Thomaston 19 years. So I said, what's it like living here compared to Russia? She says, it's cold up there. And we didn't get a long conversation, but when I went out after I had my hair cut, she smiled. You see, you don't have to do great things. You just have to do what Jesus tells you to do. You don't have to be famous kids. I wish I could walk like you. and I, I would clean tables and I would put chairs up. You can do that. I can't. But I can't intercede. And I can try to listen to Jesus and be fully surrendered. Will you give him your life today? Will you make a change in his community? Will you appreciate Pastor Jonathan and Emily and Patrick? You've got a rare breed here. He speaks from the heart. And you know he's prayed. And I thank you for this opportunity. I'm sorry I stumbled through it. But I thank you. As long as I have breath. I will tell this great Jesus who changes my life. I will take what brokenness I have. Sometimes he takes broken vessels and shines through them. Sometimes he takes teenagers, and they're the, they're the greatest people on earth. I love teenagers. I love children. But, oh, they'll set the world on fire if they ever see us getting on fire. So today I ask you, is he the Messiah? Is he an imposter? Do you, have you given him all? Don't wait to do that. Because today is the day. Amen.